I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So this week we are going to talk about the patriarchy. And I'm going to take a very um, self-responsible viewpoint because it is very easy and true to point out all the ways that women have been oppressed. Um, Of course, we all know that. But in truth, what I have found in my life as I have done this work, and what I think you'll find also, is that the women are just as responsible for perpetuating the patriarchy. What we think about ourselves and even more obvious, the way we judge each other is an example of the patriarchy that lives inside of us. And, you know, they talk about uh, how racism is internalized and we are blind to ways that, you know, we perpetuate systemic racism. Um, And all of us, I think, are open and ready to have that, not all of us, but (laughs) if you're watching this video, we're all ready to have that conversation. You know, how am I part of the problem? How can I help be part of the solution? Where am I uh, participating in things that are perpetuating, uh, you know, disenfranchised members and groups of our society? So I'm going to take the same approach with patriarchy beliefs, patriarchal beliefs, because we do this to ourselves. I'm the one that gets up in the morning and looks at myself and judges my body for its size, its weight, the age that I see on my face. I'm the one that looks at other women and judges them for being too loud or thinking they're too hot or taking up too much space or wearing something that they shouldn't. The patriarchy lives inside of us, okay? And so I'm going to address how you are oppressing yourself, and we're just going to skip to the part where we take full responsibility of how we are contributing not so much to others, but in the self-improvement concept model of what we are doing and how we are holding ourselves back. These beliefs, you know, one of the beliefs that um, I carried for years that ultimately led me to drink was the belief that I needed to have it all and I needed to do it all and I needed to be it all at the same time, not just for myself, but for everybody else. And so I found myself every night reaching for a glass of wine instead of having the hard conversation of, okay, I need a break from the kids. I need to not be on all these volunteer committees. I need to, you know, not have all of this stuff that I'm taking on just because it's been expected of me and I'm participating in this system. And so the only way I could get through all of that was to drink. And I mean, alcohol fueled me in a 
in, I'm not going to say a positive way, but it allowed me to continue the self-defeating habits and the self-neglect and the self-abandonment of basically the belief that other people's needs and wants are more important than mine. And the new thought and belief that I operate on is not that my beliefs and needs and wants are more important, but that they're just as important. Like that micro change in my language really calls, puts a, put, calls my bluff and puts a lot of things on the table that have never been on the table before. Why am I worrying about, for example, what my husband is having for dinner especially on a day where I'm working and he's got the week off. Like, why am I doing that to myself? And then how is it that I'm so surprised that I feel resentment and I feel um, frustration and anger at him because I've trained him to expect that I'm going to take care of dinner no matter what. That's just a small example. But this is how, as women, we have come to live our lives. We have been socialized from the time we are little girls to manage our behavior while suppressing all of our emotions. And the woman that can put up with the most shit and still smile wins. We have been socialized to believe that we are, our needs don't exist. Like having needs makes us less. And just think about that. Like Pretending that you don't have the same needs and wants as other people so that you can be low maintenance and so that you can take up less space. This is how we've been taught. As little girls moving into puberty in high school, we were, we somehow we learned to look at women who thought they were all that in a bag of chips, as we used to say, as somehow being bad and negative. T women who take what they want whether it's be sexually or just standing up and not demurring their opinion. I don't know if that's a word, but you get my point. Uh, demoting their opinion to the men in the room, not laughing at a man's jokes. You know, we were all taught how to be good girls and judge the girls who dared to step outside of that. And, you know, some of what I'm talking about is that, that coming of age where we decided who we were, but all of those beliefs that we that we were subjected to and socialized and trained and conditioned, those are still active. And so the good news is is that we can start. Uh, what, what's the anthropologist or a geologist? We can just start noticing when feelings are coming up and untangling those cords. So often, so many of my frustrations and resentments of my husband or my kids or the committee or whatever, it's really just a reflection of me denying myself and me refusing to stand up and say no or to set a boundary. You know, Brene Brown talks about resentment as being, you like there's a difference between envy, which is when you want something that someone else has and resentment is when, you know, let's say on a Sunday afternoon, my husband's watching football and I'm in the damn kitchen making the dinner and preparing lunches for the week and all this stuff. I'm not so mad at him for watching football. I'm upset that he's giving himself permission to take a break and to relax because he just feels entitled to do that. and 
I have an inside voice that is telling me that I have to do all this stuff because he's not doing it or because he expects it or whatever. And so I'm projecting my anger onto him when in fact, I'm the one denying myself. I'm, and you know, as I came towards the end of my drinking years, um, I even got to a point where I didn't even really have an opinion. And that made me mad. You know, I can remember my husband would say, you know, where do you want to go to dinner? And I would get upset, like he's bugging me about that question, because I had so trained myself that I wanted to go to dinner where everybody else wanted to go to dinner because I didn't want to listen to other people bitch. And so I told myself that I was just being easy and low maintenance and flexible. But in reality, I wasn't asking myself what I needed and wanted. And I think about all of the abuse that my body, my human body that carries the name Colleen has subjected to myself because of internalized patriarchy, you know? Um, and I'm not saying with that, again, I'm going to repeat, it's not that a certain man or even men in general are doing it. Yes, that has been you know, there's a historical context for that, but it's the things I've done to myself. From the time I was eight year old, eight years old, that's the first time I started throwing up my food. And so Colleen, as a young female and as a woman, and I had bulimia until I was in my late thirties, I would eat. And then my internal voice would be like, no, you fat cow, you can't keep that. Go throw it up. And I would make myself stick my finger down my throat and throw it up. I mean, can you imagine doing that to a child? The things that we do and say to ourselves or, you know, feeling shame when I'm wearing something that's got a lot of cleavage. You know, I leave the house feeling all confident, but then something happens. Maybe nobody else has cleavage or something and some shame comes up for me. Remember, shame is shame arises when we judge ourselves as less valuable, worthy and OK um, in terms in in, rel in relationship to other members of our society. So the things that I have told myself inside my own brain, that is internalized patriarchy. And here's the good news. It's hard to use language to explain this, but even saying I have done that to myself is honestly taking more ownership than, than is necessary. I have thoughts in my head that I failed or not failed, that I have never questioned things that I believe to be true. Like in order to be pretty, I need to be thin. In order to be liked, I need to be agreeable. In order to be worthy, I need to be real busy. Those are beliefs that are in my head. And Part of doing this work is understanding that you can think whatever you want, including that, well, you can think whatever you want. And so the work here of learning to process our emotions, not just feel them, you know, the, the process of letting them wash through and feeling the wave and the energy of the 90 second rule of not following the thought, but it's not enough to just feel them. If you want them to stop coming back, you have to get into the belief system that's creating them, that's creating the shame, the resentment, the anger, the frustration, the disappointment, the discontentment, the unhappiness, the vulnerability, all of it. Your emotions are the smoke alarm. 
And we don't always have time to process in any given moment, this has come up and, oh, this is a reflection of the belief that I you know, got when I was eight that, um, you know, children are meant to be seen and not heard and little girls, you know, always agree. That's, that's a lot of work to walk, talk and feel and do all of that at the same time. But what's important to believe if you want to work to do this work is to understand that just because you think it does not make it true. Like, that's it. And so in this module, what I'm going to talk about is how your brain creates your experience of the world. And I'm going to use a, a diagram or a picture that we've used before that I've made. Hold on. This is my sad and sorry iceberg. Um, it's not even like accurate proportional, but it's the best I could do in PowerPoint and it's fine. So imagine that this is the iceberg. You can see where the waves and the human jumping in to go down below the surface, which is what we're doing. <clears throat> but the iceberg um, represents, the, the iceberg above the water represents the circumstances that we are seeing in our lives. And so often, we are looking at what's happening, the external happenings with people and circumstances and events, and we are reacting to those circumstances as though the circumstance itself is creating our feelings and our mood and our thoughts and our perspective and our story. We mistakenly attribute whatever we're doing and feeling and thinking to a re as a reaction to what's going on outside of us. We think we're just doing what situation calls for and feeling a perfectly normal feeling, which of course, feelings are normal. There's nothing wrong with any feeling. But I want you to use this visual to flip your understanding of what is driving our behavior and our feelings and our thoughts. It is coming from within. We don't think, feel, and act to what's going on outside of us. The stories that we tell ourselves and how we feel and our moods and our actions are rooted in our identity, what we believe about ourselves in relationship to the circumstance. So the first step to changing your reality is to flip your understanding of what's creating it. It's from the bottom up, not from the top down. So just to go back to my example of the Sunday afternoon, it's Sunday afternoon and I'm cooking and cleaning in the kitchen and doing laundry and watching my husband sit on the couch. So my behaviors are that and my mood is frustrated and bitchy and pissy and all of the things because my thoughts and perspective moving down the iceberg are that all of this work has to be done and I'm the only one that has to do it and he doesn't think he should have to help because he's a man and football's more important than me and blah, blah, blah. And so the beliefs that I'm having is that this is women's work and I have to do it. And I'm identifying as a woman who subscribes that and accepts the responsibility for all the domestic work and that my needs and what I want don't matter. It only matters what I can get done on any given day. So my mood is determined by the way I feel about myself. When going all the way back up to the circumstance, the circumstance is simply that it's Sunday afternoon. 
Like I am creating all of these other things. I have a lot of options that I'm leaving on the table. And that's what we're going to talk about in here is to look and see the other options. It doesn't mean that nobody's going to cook clean or, or do the laundry, but I have other options that would dictate different behaviors and how I would feel and not perpetuate this, you know, pants on fire, burning the candle at both ends that keeps me stuck in a cycle of chronic stress. So the antidote to the patriarchy, the internalized oppression that we put on ourselves that I'm going to offer to you, of course, there's no actual antidote, nor is there an actual patriarchy. It's a construct that we're using to separate the beliefs that serve us and the beliefs that don't. Um, that's how thoughts are. It's all made up step back for a moment. There's no such thing as a true story. Every story is just a story. That's an oxymoron. And so I understanding that we are living in stories and that we can reject what we don't like and we can believe whatever we want. Just like our teenage selves used to say, we were right. Unfortunately, then that comes with the responsibility of deciding and stepping into action that supports those beliefs. But anyway, the antidote to the patriarchy, as I'm, uh, as I'm giving you, offering you in this module, is confidence. And I'm not talking about confidence to believe that you can handle and do all the things. Um, that's actually not what we're doing. It's the confidence that you can handle the emotional fallout from standing up for yourself. There, the authentic confidence is a deep sense that you can handle undesired and difficult emotions. In fact, we are not really afraid. Most of us know that we can handle what life comes, what life throws at us, even if it sucks. If our house burned down, we, we, we don't have a choice. It doesn't matter if you have confidence or not. Your shit's gone. So you have to deal with that. What holds most of us back is a fear of what we're going to tell ourselves if something, if we're having negative emotions, we fear our own negative self-talk and judgment and shame. And so having authentic confidence is doing this work of learning, not so much in this module, because we're not talking about managing and feeling the sensations of feelings. But if you could understand and just get it into your head that thoughts create your feelings. And so first up is to feel the feelings and then trace it back to the thoughts and beliefs that are creating it. If you can understand that you have the power to feel that feeling and that you can handle anything, including sadness, like you, you have the ability to handle sadness and shame and vulnerability and embarrassment and disappointment and frustration and helplessness. Like if you knew you could feel anything, what would you not be afraid to do? You know, I have gone through in my life bankruptcy and foreclosure. My first husband and I started a business and there wasn't even all that much shame when it ended. Like we gave it a good run. It sucked. Don't get me wrong. And also I'm totally lying. There was tons of shame, but because we were able to tell ourselves a story that we did the best we could and that there was a lot of external factors that really were out of our control that led to the financial collapse 
that story helped us manage our emotions. Um, and so if it wasn't the moving out of our house and living on cash and getting different jobs and starting over, that was actually the fun part. It was the fear of what was coming and then the acceptance of the, the financial collapse and the shame and the the thoughts and, and the what ifs and the embarrassment and all of that that came with it. If we had known, which we did, and I, I think we did such a good job with that. I have to give my first husband big tip to my hat as to myself. We handled that as well as it could be handled. We held our heads high. But what I'm saying here is that it was not the moving and starting over that was the problem. It was the fear of our own feelings that was the problem. And so what I'm, the whole point of all of these courses and all of these modules is to teach you that the sensation in your body can be disconnected from the story and then you can look at the story and decide what parts are serving you and you can rewrite the story. And that sounds a little bit like toxic positivity, but we're going to get into it. It's not. The bottom line is when you are faced with a problem, your smoke alarms are going off. Stop attributing those uncomfortable emotions to the external world. That is step one, always. Stop thinking that what's happening out there is making you feel what's going on in here. Start looking at how you see yourself in the context of the circumstance. What do you want to believe about who you are and what you're capable? That was another thing with the story my husband, my first husband and I were able to tell ourselves is that we both had college educations. We were both employable. This was a temporary setback. We would be able to come back. It was just going to take some time. So it wasn't like, oh, our lives are ending and it's just, this is going to suck for a few years. And ultimately that story created our reality, but even that story wasn't true. But that is the magic. And that's the, when we talk about thought work, you know, you have your thought and then you have your feeling and then you have your, the actions that you do and you don't take that create your results, which ultimately come back up to your circumstances, which then you have thoughts about new feelings and take new action and have new results. And it's just a big cycle. But because we believed it was going to be okay and a temporary setback. We did the things that make it okay and have a temporary setback. You know, we didn't lose our sh I mean, there's a lot of ways we could have self-destructed. Our marriage actually was better. Those were some of the best years of our marriage was during that time because we as a couple really operated well in survival mode. We were a team, us against the world, um, and our relationship actually struggled when in times of peace. We were really good in times of war. And ultimately, we did end up divorcing. But in that situation, um, we worked really hard together to make all that work. So just a couple of things that I want to remind you of, um, some basic facts that I want you to take into the work that you're doing in this module, is that thoughts are just words in your brain. And you've heard me say that, but keep that in your pocket when you are having stories and random thoughts and deep beliefs. Like thoughts are just stories in your brain, words in your brain. And those words come from both 
evolutionary biology, um, the way we were wired to survive and, you know, scan our environments for threat and danger. And when we're in a stress response, our brain automatically goes to worst case scenario. We have a negativity bias, all of that. But then it also comes from all of the conditioning that we receive as children and within our culture about who we are, who we're not, what our place is, what our lane is, what makes us good, what makes us bad, what's right, what's wrong. Thoughts are not something that you've ever probably spent a lot of time about thinking, not the thoughts themselves, but your thoughts about your thought. Like this thought is just words in my brain. You know, we look at ideas and we try them on for how they resonate in our bodies, but there is no truth. There's capital T truth is things like when you go outside it, you and it's raining, you get wet. Uh, falling, that's a thing because, well, we call it gravity, but really there's just the experience. Like truth doesn't need words. It's just an experience that's universal. Like your dog can experience the same truth. You don't have to explain it. Everything else are just ideas and mental frameworks and constructs that we have. So I separate these things too as capital T truth. Those are just in the present moment. They're observable. In a court of law, there's 100% of the people all the time, no matter where you're at, that would be like, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. That really happened. That's happening. It's an experience. Otherwise, little t truth is just what feels true for you. Beliefs that you've grown up with that, you know, a woman who sleeps with a lot of men is a whore or so there's something wrong with her or virginity is some sort of something that's so sacred. And we have to, you know, what we do with our bodies has meaning to other people. And it means things about who we are. You know, these truths that we've brought, we were taught to think that way. And that's where like really stepping back and seeing the big picture, it doesn't mean that you're going to get rid of all your truths. I have a lot of truths, but more and more, I am able to choose my truths and I want to uncover the truth before I put it back into my operational model, if you will. Like our emotions are our operating system and I'm on a mission to find all of the truths that don't serve me and reject them. Now, there are circumstances, experiences out there that I still have to accept, but the way I feel about myself in that moment dictates not only how I feel, but also what I do. And that radically changes the outcomes in our lives. When we have, when we have authentic confidence that we're not afraid to make other people uncomfortable and, and other people's emotions are on them, like it's not our job to make everybody feel better. And it's okay for us to be okay, even when somebody else isn't okay. Like we don't need permission to you know, or we don't have to worry, or, you know, we don't have to question our esteem and our value. Like, what if you just knew that you are a person that has needs and wants that are as important as everybody else's? To me, that's the belief I keep on my baseline of identity. My needs and wants are just as important as everybody else's. That's one I've chosen. So the work is to use your emotions when those icky feelings come up that you're so um, 
reflexively knee-jerk reaction like, oh, I need to change the way I feel by having a drink, by eating something, by having a conversation and talking to somebody or doing something. When you learn that your emotion is an invitation to expose either that you're holding two different beliefs, like I can do anything I want, and also I need to look hot, sweet, polite while I'm doing it. Like your emotions of overwhelm are coming up so that you can bring up those two beliefs and say, which one do you want? Do you want to, you know, focus on looking hot, nice, sweet, kind, and being everything to everybody else at the expense of your own mental health? That is one of your choices. That's actually the belief driving the current bus. Do you want to change? So the other thing that that leads to is there is no right way or wrong way to feel like your religious beliefs, your moral beliefs, whether you choose them or not, they're not right or wrong. Um, and I know that that contradicts religion because religion um, does believe that there are things that are right and are things that are wrong. But I submit for your thought that right or wrong doesn't exist out in the real world. You know, a lion eats a bunny. That's not right or wrong. That's nature. That's something that can be observed. Even in our current um, political situation with abortion, you know, the thought that um, we can outlaw abortion, that's a thought. The evidence doesn't show that that's, that doesn't stop abortions. Abortion is period. Women from all times have had to make really difficult decisions about whether to carry the baby or to terminate the pregnancy. And there's like, I don't want to get into that, but the thought that abortion is wrong, like the, the sentence ends after the is abortion is, it's a thing. And so how we choose to feel about it, that is where our choice comes in. Um, so understanding that your thoughts and your beliefs are never right or wrong, um, you decide for yourself what thoughts and beliefs work and right or wrong. But honestly, in the real world or in the objective, natural, observable world, there is no right or wrong. There's really not even cause and effect. We connect dots all over the place so that we can have meaning and stories in our head. But the bottom line is, there's just what happens and what doesn't happen in any given moment. I know that's really deep and complicated. And take what you want and leave the rest, okay? So to end, I'm going to give you a bunch of beliefs that I've just kind of been collecting from my own mind um, and when I listen and read to people talk about the patriarchy. And I'm just going to list a lot of things like I'm overly concerned with what other people think. Like, are you a person that will at least admit, not all of us will admit it. I like to think I don't care what other people think right up until I'm upset because of something other people think, and then I'll deny it. And then whatever, that's fun. And that's fun. It's just human. That's what we do. But I'd like for you to go through a list of beliefs that I've kind of pulled from just to cue your work so that you can just take some of the ones I give you. And then, you know, I have you list a couple of other ones on your own. And the example I'm going to use here is that I have low self-esteem. That's one of the things um, through my teenage years and early 20s, I often said the words, I have low self-esteem. 
And that thought perpetuates low self-esteem. Remember, it's our thoughts that create our results, not the circumstances. The circumstance would be that there would be something fundamentally flawed about me as a person, um, which there there isn't. I'm a unique, breathing wonderful human being. I sound like and and look like and act like, you know, one of 7 billion other people on the planet. And yet I have often thought that in my teenage years and early 20s, I struggle with low self-esteem. So in this example, I have you pull out that thought and really do a deep dive into how that thought affects you. You know, because I believe I have low self-esteem, I look for evidence of that. You know, in different conversations, I might speak up or excuse me, not speak up. Or I might apologize when I'm not really sorry, or I might stick with a friendship who, or date somebody who I'm not really all that into because I don't feel confident enough to be alone and maybe make some different choices in my relationships. Okay. So I have you pull out some beliefs that are patriarchal in keeping with this theme and look at how those beliefs are affecting your lives. Not only how do they make you feel, but what actions do you take so you can start connecting the dots, even though I just said that there is no cause and effect. There, we're, this is a framework. This is a model. So we're, we're just using this as a tool, if you will. So when you think a certain thing, like I have low self-esteem, how does that make you feel? Like what emotions? I would say shame, vulnerable, needy, um, those sorts of things, then how do I act or don't act? How do I behave because of that belief? And what are the results of that belief? Which skipping to the, the short answer of it, the results prove the thought true. And so you're going to look through the different contexts of your life where this thought is in, is in play. You're going to look at the patterns and the habits that that thought leads you into. And you're going to look at the big picture consequences. Um, I also ask you, you know, what does it cost you to believe that? Because remember, it's not true. I don't have low self-esteem. Just a quick thing. If you watched my, well, okay, uh, just a quick thing. This morning, I woke up in a weird funk. I don't know what my story was, but the first cognizant thought that I had was that, oh no, I'm falling into a deep, dark depression. This is bad. I caught it. Oh my God, I caught it. And I did not believe that thought. And I looked at, you know, the question when I started to say, why am I feeling depressed? That questions are also thoughts. And we've talked before together about low level questions, the thought, why am I depressed, gives my brain a problem that I don't really want to solve. I don't need to know why I'm depressed. And I immediately flipped it. I'm so proud of myself. I caught it. I caught that question. And I immediately asked, no, 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 no. What do I need to do to not be depressed today? What does my body need? And the truth is, in hindsight, I had a lot of vague things like this video that I really wasn't ready for and some other things on my list that I wasn't certain and excited to go sit down at my desk and pull the trigger on. And I hadn't exercised in a few days because I've been 
really busy. And so my body was telling me that I needed something. I needed some fresh air. I needed some grounding exercises. And so instead of asking myself, why am I depressed? This whole day, I've done that before. And all of a sudden, you know, today's Friday morning, all of a sudden it's Sunday night and I've lost it. I'm not feeling good. I'm watching Netflix. I'm eating stupid shit. I didn't get my work done. Of course I'm depressed then. But the thought I'm going, I'm falling in a deep, dark hole. There is no hole. I wasn't falling. The thought though created some emotions in me that instead of believing the story, I dealt with the emotions. I took the walk. I took a shower, did my hair and my makeup and made a to-do list. So I have really clear things of what I'm doing and just got on with my day. I took action that then changed the way I felt and changed the way I thought. Okay. So I'm going to have you look at the belief. You can do one, you can do more than one of what are the big picture consequences of the belief that is not serving you. And what is that costing you? You know, for me, had I believed I was falling into a deep, dark hole and gone in a, uh, on a mission to figure out what is depressing me, that would have cost me a work day at least, probably time spent with my family this weekend because I would have been depressed and busy being depressed. I wouldn't have, in, I mean, it, it would have cost me a lot. And so understanding that your beliefs aren't true, they're a reflection of your identity, and then asking yourself high quality questions, which I've got some listed out for you here, which the final question that you're going to ask in this module is, what else could be true? Like, if no thought is true, or all the thoughts are true, so the thought, I have low self-esteem, what else could also be true? And when have you ever experienced the other truth? So like if I was saying I don't have any self-esteem, I could also look at me thinking, oh, but that one time when I felt like a million bucks and I was doing a TEDx presentation, you know, I felt really like I had high esteem. I felt like I had something to say. I felt like I was worthy of taking up space and using my voice. And in that, I delivered a fantastic speech. And so then I ask you, okay, so I have high self-esteem, which would be the opposite. What, what uh, consequences did that create? And what beliefs did you have? In the, for me in that moment with the TEDx, I had to believe that it was okay to be nervous and I could do it anyway. So I have you deconstruct the belief that the beliefs that are creating negative results in your life. And then I encourage you to play with, and I take you through a step-by-step -step process of creating the antidote belief, which also FYI doesn't have to be positive. You can also think something neutral. So in the self-esteem belief, if you're not ready to say, um, instead of I have low self-esteem, switch immediately to I can do anything I set my mind to. The way you try that on is how it resonates in your body. Does I have low self-esteem resonate higher than I can do anything I want? Well, if so, then I can do anything I want isn't really going to work because you don't feel it. You don't believe it. You don't identify with it. Think about the iceberg here. We're trying to re, uh, reprogram our identity. So another thought that you could put that would work better that I use as an example is I recognize that thinking I have low self-esteem creates low self-esteem, and I'm going to practice thinking. I know I can do hard things. 
that's enough. Just acknowledging that you're working on it, a work in progress. So the next time you're in a situation where that thought comes in, I have low self-esteem, and maybe that's not your thought. I thought that for years. I could think, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not true. I actually recognize that thinking that doesn't serve me. Just like this morning, thinking that I was falling into a deep, dark hole of depression would have sent me there. The results prove the thought true. And then finally, I ask you to just bring this cognizance, bring this awareness into your life using your feelings as smoke alarms to alert you of the views, most likely patriarchal, keeping with the theme, that are coming up for you that are creating limitations, that are creating negative moods and leading to actions and leading to actions and inaction that isn't serving you, and then perpetuating that cycle. So we're deconstructing that, separating the feeling from the thought, and then looking at creating a new thought, trying that on, letting it evolve in each circumstance, you know, okay, that kind of worked, but I could also think this, and just taking control of your mind. Learning to manage your mind is the key to changing your identity because you have to recognize what's creating your identity. So good luck with this. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.